Welcome to the teaching ministry of Reverend JFK Mensah, a seasoned Bible teacher with over 40 years of ministry experience. He is a pastor, a church planter, a missionary, and an international conference speaker. He is passionate about making Christ-like disciples worldwide. JFK Mensah is the General Overseer of Great Commission Church International. May you be transformed as you listen to the Word of God. Today is a question and answer Sunday. For those who are joining us, or this is your first time experiencing it, uh, many times in church, many questions that we have, either from the sermons or from our Sunday school, or from our personal Bible reading, or your personal spiritual life, there are issues you need some clarity on. You want to find out something, but sometimes there's no avenue for that. And in GMT, we want to make space so that everybody can have a platform to ask any kind of question that you want to ask, anything at all about the Christian life. And today is one of the days that we have dedicated to that question and answer. Of course, as a church, we have been working through the discipleship syllabus and we are currently in maturity. So this year we have worked on doctrinal maturity, character maturity, and ministry maturity. And God has blessed us with vessels who have been laboring, teaching us, making sure that we are growing. And so without much I do, we want to set ball rolling. Um, our panelists are ready. Thank you for this opportunity. I happen to witness to one Jehovah with you. And uh, I was trying to talk about the Holy Trinity, not the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. And I read John 1. In the beginning was the word, and the word I was trying to talk to him. Then he was not accepting that Jesus is God. And one thing I also realized was that I realized that the Bible he was using, uh, in his Bible, I realized that it's different from mine. Because the God thought in the beginning was the word, and the word was God. His Bible, the God felt more Jesus. So I was wondering why the Bible is mine and he doesn't believe that Jesus is God. That is the argument. I didn't really argue with him, but just that he doesn't want to believe that Jesus is God. I, I continue that uh, from the source that in the world became flesh and drew out a mountain. I explained but still. So I left him. I Okay, so let's take this set of questions in the room. Okay. My question is one that we've all heard over and over again. First Corinthians 11, one. Imitate me just as I imitate Christ. So somebody also says, so when I stop following Christ, then. Yeah, so I want to just help me on 
Father, which in their days no 
human being will make a claim like that. So when you listen to the claims of Jesus Christ, you can say, just as the Father has life, this one life to give you, kill him and you, you lay down his life and you bring him the king. He claims his life and then resurrects. So if you put all together, you have to listen to the claim he's making about himself. Muslims and others trouble Christians say that if Jesus is God, where did he say he is God? The claim he made is greater. Why do you want to stone him because of my claim? One of it is a John chapter 5, verse 17. He says that his father is working up to now, and he too is working. And he says, You a man making yourself equal to God. I think that is now. Then in John 10, verse 13, he says, I am a father now. And they want to stone him again. This time, he says, You a man making yourself God. So he blamed people in my head, he in trouble, he never regretted and apologized because that was what the claim was talking about. Then the fourth and the third claim I will mention is the attributes of Christ. We say attributes of God, there are certain qualities that are set apart for God alone. For example, God is omnipotent. God is omnipresent. God is omniscient. God is eternal. Jesus feeds into all these attributes. And the other one was what is represented in our life today. Today, no Christians are forcing Jesus to be God. If God tells us what he does, what he's doing, and what he will do. And in the hope that every knee will soon bow and every tongue will confess that Jesus is God to the glory of the Father. Thank you. That's the powerful one. Yeah. So the question was on First Corinthians chapter eleven from verse one. And so Paul was saying, Be ye imitators of me, even as I am of Christ. And I know our minds play with us when we read it for the first time. Uh, you get the impression that he's saying, Imitate me. As soon as I stop imitating Jesus, you stop. No, that's what is communicated. They set Jesus as the focus. That even as Jesus is the standard, I, who have led you to Christ, am imitating him. So you too imitate Christ. So just as I am also doing. So if, what it means is that even if I fail, you should continue. Because Jesus is the standard. I hope that's Okay, the last question before we take uh, the other set of questions. What is contextualization in missions? When we say contextualization, it's a long, big word. It comes from English context. And context means environment or the place where the thing is located. So contextualization just means living your Christian life and in the midst of the uh, people you are. So I will give you three examples of contextualization. One is Jesus. When Jesus came, he didn't come as a guy. He didn't come as 
and alien. He didn't come as an Ashanti. He came as a Jew. So, if you look at John chapter 4, from verse 7, we are told that Jesus sat at the well and asked the woman of Samaria, give me water to drink. And the woman said, you are a Jew. You are asking water from me, a Samaritan. And I'm a woman. And they put there because the Jews have no dealings with Samaritans. So Jesus dressed as a Jew. He ate Jewish food. He spoke the Jewish language, Aramaic. That is what we call context. So when you are a Christian and you go, let's say you are a Christian from Zima, Zimala, eh, eh, Western region, and you come to Accra. If you want to contextualize, it means you eat gankeke and learn Gan language and dress as Gan people. Then we say you are contextualizing your Christianity. In the same way, when you go to Tamale or Volgatanga, you put on the Volga, uh, the smoke, and dress and try to learn their language. If the Tuzavi, then you, you are do, we are doing what we call contextual. You are working in the context. But if you insist that you are a girl, you are among the Dagobes, the Dagbani in Tamani, but you want to eat Kenke. And all Christians you convert, you also eat cake and live to yourself, then you are not contextualized. It means you are living your Christian life like your hometown or country or tribe, in the middle of different people, different tribes, different languages. Some people carry it too far, so they translate it the Bible, when Jesus says, I am the bread of life, they translate it for God and say, Jesus is the king of life. Meaning that you are, you are putting, God's are not so particular about bread, they are particular about king Every day, if a God has eat king one day, trouble. So Jesus is the king of life. Uh, so, that means you are taking the contextualization too far. But that is the meaning of contextualization. Amen. Amen. Okay. The next three set of questions. As a pure Christian, do you have to involve yourself in political party or politics? That's number one. And in the book of Genesis, chapter 1 and 2, gives different creation narratives 
whereas it's the same as a who wrote these chapters. Why are they both different? My question is that I am a Christian. I am a Christian who is suffering from addiction for one major thing, which I prayed over and over, but I have not been able to overcome it. So what can I do to overcome it? What is what does it really mean to be saved? What does it really mean to be saved? Over to you, Manus. Okay. Thank you. As a pure Christian, you have to involve yourself in political party. The answer is yes. The best way to explain politics is where decisions are taken which affect you. That's the meaning of politics. If today the government of Ghana decides that they are going to tax Momo, you are in Ghana, it will affect you. That's politics. When they take a decision that now SHS is uh, three years, your child goes to SHS three years. If they take a decision that is four years, your child goes. So politics means where decisions are taken which rule you. So should a Christian be in politics? Should a Christian be where decisions are taken? Yes. Correct. Now, the problem is that a lot of Christians who enter politics are not deep, they are not disciples, they are not strong in their Christianity. So when they get to the top, they lose all their Christianity. And those people who gave you money before you got there, those who campaigned for you before you got there, they rule you. So you are in politics, but your Christianity is corrupted. Should a Christian be in politics? Yes. If you are in a GMT, you come to Sunday school, you grow spiritually, you become mature and deep and strong. It takes strong people to change Adam. If you are not strong, you are popular, but you are not strong. When you get to the top, the people under you will change you. So many Christians enter politics at the end of their lives. They are useless. No soul, no light, nothing. Should a Christian, a pure Christian be in politics? Yes! Because last time I went to vote, I was sorry. Because the NDP, NDC representatives for my area, my district, both were Muslims. And I am a Christian pastor. I vote for Muslims to go and take decisions for me. That's because I can't get strong Christians to get to the top and stay there. I'm, I'm not politically biased, but I thank God for people like Akamins who were able to put that food down and he told the Ashanti chiefs, whenever I am coming as president, if you want to pour like this, pour it before I come. Or wait, when I finish and I'm going, 
you can pour. And I am a Christian. Don't pour like this in my presence. You see, and when he was in Parliament, he made sure that six months, Christians pray, and they don't invite the whole woman to come and pray. So we need strong Christians who know what they are doing. When they get to the top, women, money, popularity doesn't change. Should a pure Christian be in politics? Yes. Mature in guilt, then you can get Thank you. Um, the question is, um, I'm a Christian who is suffering from an addiction. Yeah, so generally, a person is struggling from an addiction and um, trying to overcome it. I know it is true, it is difficult. I mean, addiction like sexual addiction is so strong and hard to overcome. And it gets to a point, it's like the efficacy of the word of God and prayer and counseling seems to, uh, it doesn't answer the problem. But the truth is that these are the same things that heal us. And I realize that whenever you are struggling with an addiction and you do your quiet time, you do your quiet you are being saved. You are that's coming to church, being baptized, being Holy Spirit filled, reading your Bible, staying out of sin. All of that is the process of being saved. Now when we meet Jesus, then we shall be saved. So in the first John chapter 3 from verse 1 to 3, explains to us that when we see Jesus, we will be like him. And anyone who has this hope in him, keeps on purifying himself, just as is pure. So, second, sorry, Philippians chapter 2 from verse 12 says, We should wear out our salvation with fear and trembling, for God is at work in us both to will and to do according to his good pleasure. Thank you. So, uh, responding to the question, Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 give different accounts of creation. Which one should we believe? And if it is like the same author, why are the accounts different? The simple answer is that they are not different. <laughs> they are actually talking about the same thing. In Genesis chapter 1, verse 1, it gives us in the beginning, God created the heavens and the earth. And tells us if we were like, the general summary of what was created, then how we have the six days and the heavens and the earth and how God is gathering things, putting them in order. Then chapter 2 is focusing on the earth and the things that were created, how exactly they were created, and the creation of man. So Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2 became a template for the entire Bible because all Bible writers kept on referring to the beginning, the beginning, the beginning, including Jesus Christ, who said in the beginning it was not so. So in Matthew chapter 9, so when you take them separately, you think that they're confusing because they are giving different accounts. But they are actually presenting the same thing. Just that one is feeling what happened on earth more than the other. I know there are some
teachers of the Bible, in the quest of making a revelation out of things, is presenting two different accounts and they believe in free academic creation and they use that as a gap in order to teach up what they want to speak. But when you look at the Bible in totality, it's not presenting two accounts. They are one account. The other one is that if you want explanatory version of the other. Thank you. Thank you, Pastor Albert, Daddy, and Pastor Tawang. Okay, so we want to take one question from online, and then we take two direct questions from the congregation. So the question, what is the difference between diverse kinds of tongues and speaking in tongues? What is the difference between diverse kinds of tongues and speaking in tongues? This is from online. So the first question is that um, he said he spoke with a Jehovah Witness and was saying that the people who go to heaven have already been selected. So he wants to ask that we who are here, where are we going? <laughs> he said that the people who go to heaven have already been selected. So we who are still here, where are we going? And then the second one is that um, those who go to those who go to when, when you go to the hospital, they say that they're not supposed to take when we are sick, if you need it, um, because they, they believe that it's human soul, human life, so you are taking in somebody's life. So you want to ask, is it a good thing to take in blood, somebody's blood, when you want to increase your Okay, so, tongues generally means language, a protocol for communication. You see something, and then the person understands and the person replies. It's tongue. So all the languages we have in Ghana are we can call them tongues. In when we are talking about the charismatic gift of tongue speaking, we have different different kinds of tongues. So in first Corinthians chapter thirteen from verse one, he said if I speak the tongues of angels and of men, and I do not have love. So it means we have tongues of angels, we have tongues of men. In Acts chapter 2, when the Holy Spirit fell, they spoke a, a, a certain kind of tongue, and that tongue, it was the normal language that the people were speaking. And though they were not native speakers of the language, they do not understand that language, but they spoke it behind the power of the Holy Spirit. So that's a kind of tongue. And when we move further, we see that dreams, visions, trances are also tongues that are given. Because it's a language that God is communicating. And handwriting on the wall is also a tongue. So when we say speaking in tongue, we are talking about that tongue where you are speaking, you are communicating it. And so that one can be different, different, different kinds. So when we use the word diverse kinds of tongues, the Bible is acknowledging that there are different kinds of tongues. And we find different kinds of tongues in the first Corinthians chapter 12, from verse 7 all the way to verse 11, as one of the charismatic gifts. Okay, thank you. Uh, 
I somebody asked me that there is a post that the type of tongues we are speaking is not from God. Because how can you be speaking and saying that you are speaking tongues? I vehemently disagree. Acts chapter 2 verse 4 says they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. You can have counterfeit tongues. Counterfeit tongues when a church, the pastor teaches everybody. All of you say basically oh. You say basically oh. Or say it again, basically oh. So let's speak in that. Basically boy, basically boy, basically boy. Then everybody is speaking that kind is counterfeit. I mean I remember uh Freeman. I was there when they prayed for him to receive the Holy Spirit. When we prayed for him, he turned round, round, round and fell on the ground. Then he started shouting, God! 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 Philosophy. They say that 
this is what we did and we killed speaking in tongues in the church for more than 1,800 years there was no speaking in tongues in the church until 1,900 in America the Azusa Street Revival before tongues came back to the church you see, so if we don't have the game for speaking in tongues we shall kill it and if we kill it, reviving becomes a problem I know some churches, you are not allowed to speak in tongues in church because they say, oh, you should speak privately to yourself. But what about if it's a prayer meeting? It's a prayer meeting. I can't speak in tongues. Then when am I to use it? What is the meaning of 1 Corinthians 14, 18? When Paul says, I thank God, I speak in tongues more than you all. Some people copy some tongues. You just listen carefully to Tawam speaking in tongues. Then you go and start copying, and then you start. That's counter. Some people do is demonic tongues. And I think I've mentioned it before. A woman came to me and said, I speak in tongues, but I know it's from the devil. Pray for me so that it will stop. And when I prayed for her, it stopped. Then we went and baptized her. That's it. So there is no counterfeit 150 Ghana notes. Because there is no correct 150 Ghana CD Ghana notes. There is counterfeit 200 because there is correct 200. Speaking in tongues has counter, but the genuine two is there. And we should not kill the genuine in our zeal to, to, to push forward the other tongues. And I personally believe that there is what we call prayer language. You pray, when you are praying, that tongue comes. It's not a tongue's prophecy. So you can't say once there is no interpreter, you should sit that. That's not, I'm not speaking prophesying tongues. Amen. Thank you, Daddy. Thank you for clarifying this issue of tongues. And the question I'm responding to is the Jehovah's people and about blood transfusion. That is the doctrine that if it takes, it's not good to take blood. I don't know the very details of why we don't do that. I said, what happened? That if somebody's life is in the blood. So if you are giving blood to somebody, then you are giving life. Interesting. I want to look at it from three perspectives. The first perspective is the creative perspective. When God himself took the rib of man to form the woman, that human parts were used from the man to give life, or in other words, to form the woman, and the woman was taken from the, the man. The second part is Paul's argument in Galatians chapter 4 from the 16 that he can bear witness that if it was possible and the people could black. They are kind for him to look at that. And throughout, the third one is the issue of love. That if Jesus sacrifices life for us, and first John chapter 3, 16 is telling us that he was also followed love by laying our life for one another. That if aspect of my life can be given for the survival of another person, then I don't think it would be spiritual to use the content that it is like to rather watch somebody die 
than doing something to help the person live off. If you are going to say that I can reduce it to as it is, then there are a lot of things we'll be careful how we do it. Because if physically my blood is given to somebody and the person is saved, then Jesus' blood given for our salvation, he has already died within the home, is also called to question. And if I am able to help somebody beyond my means and that affects me, we go to question. So, as, as much as the contemporary issue that we go around, I personally think there's nothing wrong with blood transfusion. Thank you. And, and the Jehovah Witness argument that the people who are going to heaven, they are 144,000. And they are already chosen. So we don't sit in here. Where are we going? <laughs> Fortunately, we are the number chosen. <laughs> Ephesians chapter 1, verse 4 says, God chose us before the foundation of the world to be holy and blameless before. It's not now that God is making up his mind, shall I choose JFK or shall I? God chose us before. The Romans 8.29 says, those God knew beforehand, he predestined that they should be conformed to the image of his son. So, the first answer is, God chose us before the foundation of the world. In fact, Revelation chapter 13 verse 8 and 17 verse 8 both say that our names were written in the Lamb's book of life from the foundation of the world. So it is not now that God is making up his mind shall I choose the man? Shall I not choose him? No. But God has not written on our forehead who is chosen who is not chosen. So we don't know. So he says we should preach the gospel to every creature. We should make disciples of all nations. He who, is, who believes and is baptized shall be saved. For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. So the Bible says we should preach to all, all, anybody who accepts Christ is baptized shall be saved. And when he get to heaven and they open the book of life. You see, I ah look, 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 look at Sister Regina. No. They wrote your name before the world started. So nobody is going to heaven and come to say, Hey, hey, Brother Irene, how did you manage to get to heaven? Hey, you you try no. People that didn't believe that you would come. Amen. 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 So we take another three set of questions. Number one, what is the interpretation of a dream where you are fed with meat, egg, and even rice? Hallelujah. Number two, what are the implications of a dream? Where you find yourself having sex in the dream 
West of, you realize that on waking up, you have ejaculated. The third one, who did King get married to after God cast him out of his presence? Were there other human beings elsewhere? So we are taking the fourth question. Why is the church growing in numbers but without power? Why is the church growing in numbers but without power? Hallelujah. So, as a general truth, I disagree with people who try to even write books and attach specific interpretation to specific dream. So if you see somebody flying, what if an angel is flying? If you see somebody walking, da, 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 da. there are problems that we see similar things in the Bible, but their interpretations are so different. I don't answer this earlier. For example, a snake in the Bible is used to represent wisdom, the wise serpent. The same snake is used to represent the devil. But if God wanted to show you wisdom, chose to see a flag of a snake, then you go out as a spiritual warfare. <laughs> so as a rule, I believe that every dream you see, you should pray for the specific meaning. God might use the same object to communicate to you yesterday, but communicating with those objects, but in a very different fashion today. Therefore, when you get a dream, you should not be asking if you see a speaker in the dream, what does it mean? Rather, what is God telling me in this dream by showing me a speaker? Now, having said that, there are certain general symbols that the state of that dream is most likely to be bad. For example, the one somebody is having sex and even it can I'm interpreting it, I'm explaining it in three perspectives. It is tells us that out of the business of the day, the dream will come in the night. So some of the dreams you, you are having in the night, you are still having it in the day before you went to sleep in the night. Because your consciousness is cut off, you are carrying it in the night. I'm not sure, but as I think the night and process that there's 15 and 16, he said that to them, this whole vision would be like a man who is hungry, having a dream that is eaten, then he wants to make it out and his hunger is still there. And you dream like that, you are thirsty, you dream that you are drinking, you wake up and your thirst is still there. So in that case, your physical state is what is translated into the physical So it's your soul carrying it. So the best is to let you know who you really are, that you couldn't discern yourself. You were watching pornography, you were watching a killer movie, and you are cheating. You were watching, and you are sleeping, and you are dreaming that you are having sex. It's not a dream, it's you in another dimension. So that stops you what you are doing physically, and what is coming in the dream will stop. But we also have another state where either God or Satan is revealing the dream to you. God is trying to communicate to you and is revealing the dream to you. Or Satan too 
is polluting your spiritual state where he's presenting pictures of dreams and sexual intercourse and he knows that you're weakening your spiritual life. In order to add this life, that will say that demons are moving on you. They are making your bed dirty. In that case, you might have to take a spiritual warfare. If you see it consistently, if it is repeating and the normal health lines are not helping your prayer, it might be a spiritual issue that you pray about. So that are issues, dreams that are so obvious that they are demonic. But I find that when you feel a state of dream, seeing something, don't be quick to use the past interpretation to interpret the present. Always go to God for whatever the dream is coming from. Pray to God for a specific understanding. Thank you. Thank you. And so, this question, this is the third time we are receiving this question. So, um, I believe that by answering this, all the questions will be received. Um, when you read through the Bible, you need to understand that there are certain things that are highlighted and there are certain things that the Bible is silent about. So, taking the example of the Genesis chapter 1 from verse 2, you see that the chapter 1 gives you a general picture of God's creation. Then chapter 2 talks about how man was created. And it is part of the chapter 1, but it was highlighted in the chapter 2. When the Bible is saying, Abraham, sorry, Adam gave birth to Cain and Abel, you will need to understand that they were not giving birth to as twins. They were, they were even years between their ages. When you read and you see that after the death of Abel, Seth was born, it's not as if as soon as he died, um, and Eve conceived and gave birth, they were years, a, a gap of years. The same way, by procreation, though um, it is not mentioned that at that particular point where Abel died and came home, that Adam had sons and daughters. The Bible mentions that he had sons and daughters. And these people, from our general understanding, are people who moved out, they were years of gap, started who have been living together, marrying and all that. So it is possible that at, at that time, because men were not many on the earth, Cain married one of his close relatives, and that led to all the progression plan. But it is not highlighted and told you like how we are imagining it to be said in the Bible. Thank you. I was listening to them until I forgot my question. <laughs> yes. They are saying, why is the church growing in numbers, but without power? Great question. Um, I will give three reasons from my pastor's test. The first is, the way that every church gave Jesus 100% of themselves, Today's church, we are being very careful. <laughs> because Acts chapter 2, from verse 42 to 47, he said, Nobody called anything in his school 
People sold their lands, sold their buildings, gave to the poor, laid at the apostles' feet, and they continued steadfastly in the apostles' doctrine and those things. And they were prepared to be killed, to be imprisoned, to be stoned, but they still went on preaching. So the commitment level today is, is very low. And of course, if you want more power with God, you need to spend more time with Him. Then number two challenge I see is the issue of faith. Luke chapter 18 verse 8 says, when the Son of Man comes, will he find faith on the earth? Um, part of it is because of science. You know, when I was in the Volta region, I had a very old car. My wife, every one of her pregnancies, she has pushed my car one Sunday when we were going to church, we pushed the car until it went and fell into, you know, from where the river, there was a gutter there close to the river dam. And the church, they were waiting for me, they were worshiping the Lord so that I would come and preach. I was nowhere to be found. So the elder took his car, that's where he came. Then we went, said, Pastor, leave this car, let's go. <laughs> Because of that, any time before I travel, I spend time praying for the tithes, I pray for the engine, I pray for the petrol, I pray in the name of Jesus, I pray for the bonnet, I pray for the. Because sometimes from Hope to Accra, I will have to take out the plugs, wait for them to go down. Repair them, put them in. As I am here now, I can repair a lot of things on the car. The car dies, flat die. Ah, so now this is my car. When I jump into it, I don't pray for the engine. I don't pray for the dad. I don't why? Because that's not my goal. I don't exercise faith for it now. That's the difference. So. Today, when you are sick, your first mind is hospital, injection, malaria, pharmacy. So, the fact that doctors have died, they should send for Peter, pay the two months to come, pray for her to get that. And then today in the hospital and it's confirmed, let us take you and bury you. Do you think that today, when you come to church, Ananias and Safira, and two people die after you went to church, do you think the police will not come to get <laughs> They will come. So today, faith is, is, is more difficult to gather faith now than for my, those days, they were to come to come in the faith. Today, we are very careful about exercising faith. And then the last one is the kind of churches we are spreading. They are not more interested in the 
discipleship and Christ likeness and but look at Stephen in Acts chapter 7. He is in court and he is talking, but he eventually summarizes the whole Bible. He quotes left and right. And he is not an apostle. So I we have work to do, but I have not given up. I believe that gradually the church in Ghana and Africa will catch up. Please don't beat me if I say this. But some of the churches we were in, me, for example, I never, my whole life, I never knew I could pray for somebody to receive Holy Spirit, start thinking, down, fall down. I never knew I can tell an evil spirit, come out, and it will come. I never. Because the church I was in never talked about that. So the churches which were brought to us were churches that did not believe in the power of God, the power of the Holy Spirit, and so forth. So let God help us so that we can change the face of Christianity and more power will come. Amen. Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. Keep your questions coming. Um, we will take one direct question and there is one from online and we will take one from the ones I have already. So from online, if God has instructed someone not to do something in a dream and then months later they decide to do it and realize their mistake and come to God for forgiveness and have confessed but still feel guilt and feels guilty when praying what should they do? In spiritual warfare, if you know that a reality possessed with evil powers, can you pray against them as a Christian? Can you pray against them as a Christian? Now we turn to you, Church. One direct question. Yes, I am, I am unaware doing evangelism. I met some two men. I was trying to speak to them. And the man told me that he was a pastor. He said, I am a pastor. And as we were coming, he said, uh, we're supposed to have like, when you are coming to somebody, you should see something about that person. Then when you just go and you tell the person, I see this thing, this thing, this thing about you, the person will just believe. Or maybe you have money and the person is you meet somebody in trouble, when you give money to them, they will believe in God. So I want to ask that, uh, if we don't have money, or we don't have visions, and uh, maybe I pray for somebody, the person couldn't receive healing, should we continue to preach? Or should we continue in evangelism? Okay. I'm responding to a question. If the religious is possessed with a new spirit, what should you do? Should you pray against the person? Obviously, there are times that you are very pressed because of the weakness of men. You see people who have intentionally gone to seek power for money or 
and they are using that to harm other people. And if you are part, that immediate response is, Lord, I be a man of God. <laughs> that is painful that by the time you think of it, you are almost scaring the person that you know that power is good. Around when for emergency time. And this mother, they are even came for the crusade. And as we are praying, they fell under the power of God. Only for us to turn the whole world against us. The man came into the meeting, started beating the child under the anointing. The child came from anointing and ran away. <laughs> <laughs> and he, he prepared to attack her. And the man who was ministering the head, if he joke, just away. <laughs> So that's why it's very challenging. But the Christ-like approach was the Jesus need. It was Satan using Judah. It was Satan using the, using the Jewish leader. It was Satan who actually crucified Jewish people to crucify him on the cross. But at the end of it all, he said, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they are doing. It doesn't also mean that in the name of Christ like that, you should allow the spirit to have the power over the spirit. And just as that person, without that spirit, can be good, you have the power to help resist the spirit, but don't attack the person. That is why our spiritual warfare is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the spiritual realm. So when you have the witch, if you have the power that can kill a person, a witch, then that power should come by the witchcraft, put on the letter. So you don't have the witch to give the right to Christ, but the witchcraft is gone. That will kill the witch, uh, the person, and then the witchcraft will go and come up by your younger brother. And this time, you are not in the same house, you don't know what to do. So, attack the spirit, resist the spirit, pray against the spirit, if possible, cast out the spirit, preach to the person, but know that. Just as you are guilty of fornication, guilty of lying, and God has mercy on us, this person is also guilty of witchcraft or this very and God is not having mercy on that person to come to Christ. Thank you. Okay, so the question about evangelism and then money and oneness. The truth is that. Wonders, miracles, and signs should follow our evangelism, should follow our teaching. Nicodemus told Jesus that we know you are a teacher come from God, for no one can do the signs, the things you do, except they are from God. So it should follow our ministry or our evangelism. But if you look at Jesus, even in his hometown, he was not, one of the saddest things is that he was not able to do many signs and wonders because of the unbelief of his people. So when you go out to preach and there's no sign and there's no wonder, it's not that your message is not powerful, but it is the, the faith, the unbelief of the people can affect the efficacy of the message you are preaching to them. So if we shouldn't be looking out that signs 
must come before we know that our message is powerful. It's powerful even when people don't believe. That is their problem. But we should be interested in having science and wonders as part of our ministry. But when we don't see it, it doesn't mean that the message of the gospel is weak. We should still continue. The issue about money. Peter told the link man at, at, at the uh, beautiful gate that silver and gold, gold I do not have, but what I have I give to you. If we have money, we will give. Ministry to the poor and the needy, the, the, the disadvantaged, the, I, I mean, we, money is part of the ministry. If we have, we give. When people are suffering, we give. But if we don't have, it doesn't end our ministry. Our ministry goes beyond the physical provision that man can have. And so, yes, we should pray for signs and wonders. If we don't see it, we should still continue preaching. We should be involved in a, a, a ministry to the less privileged. If the physical resources are not there, we have something better, more spiritual to give. Thank you. If God has instructed somebody not to do something in a dream, and then months later they decide they decide to do it and focalize and realize their mistake, come to God for forgiveness, confess, but still feel guilt and help when praying, what should they do? And one, make sure it's God because Revelation 12, 9 10 says, Satan is the accuser of the brethren. He, is, he has a, a degree in accusing people. Because sometimes when you confess a sin, you say, Oh, you think God will forgive you? God will never forgive you what you have done. Uh, you are joking. You know. So make sure that it is not Satan who is accusing you. Two. Yes, there are things you do, mistakes you make, and you cannot ever repair them again. For example, Abraham, his wife was not bringing forth. So, Sarah said, take Hagar. And Ishmael was born. Till today, Muslims are there to show us that the mistake Abraham made is here with us. You can't do anything about it. Mistake is gone. God will forgive the sin, but the consequences live on. You remember the case of Moses. When God said he should speak to the rock, and he struck it. Water came out, but God said you won't enter it. And that was it. Look at David. In the Bathsheba case, God said the child would die. David fasted seven days and slept on the floor. But on the seventh day, the child died. So I always tell myself, I never take sin for granted. If God says do something, you will check. Then you must know how you play your game. But if after all that confession and so on, you are not feeling free, talk to the bigger brother, the more spiritual and mature person. And that person can help you to silence your conscience. Amen.
Amen. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. It's getting interesting. We have some more questions left, but we cannot handle all today. And so we are going to take our last three set of questions. And so our next three set of questions. The first one is, is our gifting having a link with our occupation? Do God choose occupation for his children? Number two, as a pure Christian, is it good to engage in into family plan to engage in family planning? As a pure Christian, is it good to engage in family planning? In Genesis chapter 24, verse 65, Rebecca took a veil and covered herself with it. So I understand that veil represents virginity. Now those who indulge in all kinds of sexual adventure, yet put on veil and receive blessings in church, are they not cursing themselves? Rebecca took a veil and covered herself with it. So I understand that the veil represents virginity. Now those who indulge in all kinds of sexual adventure, yet put on veil and receive blessings in church, are they not cursing themselves? Okay, I'm answering the Rebecca's and the veil. Okay, so this one is a bit tricky. In the sense that Bible is not explicit that if you are a virgin, put on veil, don't wear If you are not a virgin, don't put on veil. We can induce from here that you are a virgin, but we don't have beyond this, we don't have facts to substantiate that. So the tradition is that when you put on the veil, then you are a virgin. Then if I'm not a virgin, don't put on <laughs> But here is the problem. Does it mean if a virgin decides not to put on a veil? In Israel, virgins used to wear both of the other. So when, uh, what was the name? Abnon Bifar Pema. He returned the cloth because in Israel, that is what the virgin used to wear. There was something to set aside virgins. But in our days, no one what are we going to do? <laughs> we don't have something to set things aside. So this is my personal thing. Maybe that you ask to me. That if you know that the tradition goes that if you wear this, it, it means you are a virgin. And you are wearing this in the false knowledge that you are a virgin, doing everything as if you are a virgin. For them to bless you as a virgin, to do the wedding as a virgin, only to go and you are letting close to virgin. Then you are deceiving the people. But if the deal is just a wedding dress, it is not taken into consideration whether you are a deal, you are a virgin or you are not a virgin. Then there is nothing wrong wearing the deal. But if it is taken into consideration that it is virgin that should wear deal and you are wearing deal, then you are pretending. And in that case, you are not a virgin. 
Facility is not complex than that in the sense that there are people who are begging and they, they are in Christ and they are begging. But they have got a character problem that are worse off than those who are not begging. There are others who were not begging because their starting was wrong. But when they give their life to Christ to the time of marriage, they preserve themselves and their character is far better than the supposed virgin. I'm not discouraging virginity, but to understand my line of argument. So, if the person stays from the moment they gave their life to Christ, and they don't have any sexual relation to the person they are coming to marriage, then they are coming with purity that are signing the marriage as pure. And in the way, if they but if you and the person, you are only doing the thing, and you are coming to marry him, and you want to use the bill as a point of deception, then it's false deception. So, I believe that interpretation, the local church context and the understanding is critical, and if anything, the officiating minister must advise the best way of addressing it. As I believe that we add more to the issue. Thank you. Thank you. I agree with you. All I want to add is if you have even been a prostitute, but from the day you accepted Christ, you were water baptized, received Holy Spirit, gone through deliverance. You are a virgin in Christ. Yeah. Revitalization. <laughs> so that's the powerful one. Um, is our gifting or let me say our gifts, charismatic gifts, if I want to, having a link with our occupation. So, from what that is shared earlier in the Ephesians chapter 1 from verse 4, that God chose us in Christ before the foundation of the world. It is not when you became a medical doctor before God started thinking, okay, should I give you word of wisdom? No. God by his predestination has made sure that you are having this gift, that gift, so that it will help you in the occupation he has predestined. So our, we don't just wake up, go to school and decide that we want to become lawyers. Then we now ask God, what gifts do you want to give me in addition to my profession? No. So from our career, our occupation, to the charismatic gifts that we operate in, we should ask God for them. I think the second question is, that is linked whether God chooses our occupation. The, 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 the word choose is even an understatement. God has set people to become this or that. So it is for us to find them out. In, in Proverbs chapter 25 from verse 2, it says that it is the glory of God to hide a thing and it is the glory of kings to search it out. So it is for us from the day we become born again to search it. In Ephesians chapter 2 from verse 10 it says, We are his workmanship created in Christ Jesus for good works, which he prepared beforehand that we should walk in them. So it means that God has a master plan. He has a master, he has a beautiful work. And we are supposed to fit in that work of his. And so it is not that he chooses it for He has actually made us to do what he has predestined. Thank you. Okay. 
So the last question in this set is, as a pure Christian, is it good to engage in family planning? Family planning is deciding how many children you want to have and when you want to have the children. That's what we call family planning. So, when you were not a Christian, there, is not, there was nothing wrong with family planning. You are your own boss. You choose what. When you become born again, a Christian, you now have a new boss. His name is Jesus Christ. Romans 14, 7 to 9 says, Whether we live or we die, we belong to Jesus. None of us lives to himself or dies to himself. So when you want to get married, what we do is, we tell you to pray fast. And the boy, how many children does God say you should have? You write in secret, then we get to the, the lady. How many children do you, is God talking to you to have? Write in secret, then bring the list. If the man says four, and the girl says two, then it's not God. Is it God? Ah, so we catch you there. But if God is really speaking to you, He tells you how many children He wants you to have before you enter the marriage. Why? Because Jeremiah 1.5 is in the Bible. It says, before I formed you in the womb, I knew you. Before you came out of your mother's womb, I sanctified you and ordained you a prophet to the nations. So, people are human beings before they enter the womb. This is why a Christian has no right to abort a child. Now, the family planning methods are too many for me to list in church now. Some are good, some are very good, some are bad, some are very bad. If you have eight months pregnancy and because of family planning you go and do DNC and cut the child and kill the child and throw the child out there. Our family planning, we want three children. And now, this is the fourth one, too. That's very wrong. Then, some are very good. That is, those who have regular periods. You use the calendar and you abstain. And so you only use the safe time for sleeping with your wife. And when you do that, if after that the pregnancy comes, then it's from God, it's not from the devil. So accidents can happen. Our child Moses, for example, is an accident. Because we all thought we are finished. And I gave up, Mama gave up. And she went to school. And then the pregnancy came. And even communion times, she used to pray that the pregnancy would abort. 
So that, but when she saw that it was a boy, she forgave me all my sins. <laughs> and Moses is the only boy we have, but he is the last. So what do we do? So, family planning must be done with the Holy Spirit. It must, no Christian couple must take family planning to your heart. We don't want this pregnancy. For us, we don't want pregnancy. First five years of marriage, no pregnancy. When you are ready, that God is going, who will you blame? And at Verkolio uh, Convention, I always put one woman came and stood and wept and gave a personal testimony. She said that she was having children during the man so long. So when she got, I think, the fourth pregnancy, everybody was laughing at her. So she laid down and said, The firstborn son to come and stamp on her stomach. And the boy stamped on her stomach to cause miscarriage. And she drank all that of things. The boy refused to miscarry. And he was born. Now, a father, their father died early. That boy is the breadwinner for the whole family. And, and any time she sees that that boy is feeding her, she weeps because she nearly destroyed that boy. Amen. Be a witness. This week, as Jesus drags people to you at your workplace, in your school, in the family, in your neighborhood, in the name of Jesus, he who said, follow me, I'll make you fishers of men. May he empower you to be a witness and a fisher of men and women throughout this week and be fruitful in Jesus' name. Go with this blessing. Amen. Follow JFK Men's Ministries on Facebook and YouTube and invite others to listen to his podcast. You can also access some of JFK Mensa's books and keep up with his ministry at www.jfkmensaministries.org. God bless you.